This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 3588 for Wednesday, the 4th of May 2022. Today's show is entitled Lanusa Law Sai. Get your boots on for a fresh look at Init Systems. It is part of the series Linux and Laws. It is hosted by Monochromic and is about 46 minutes long. It carries an explicit flag. The summary is Martin and Chris discuss what happens when you turn on a computer, preferably running Linux. This is Linux in Laws a podcast on topics around free and open-source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open-plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. This is something called Linux in Laws. Mm. Season one, episode six hundred and seventy thousand five hundred and twenty-eight. <laughs> On a much more serious note, this is Liz In-Laws, season one, episode fifty-five. Oh, we know Martin. the number. Well done. Yes, we do. We do. We do. <laughs> How are things today? Uh, yeah. Good question. Um, it depends whether we go into the uh, uh, the big issue or not. But yeah, apart from that, everything is fine. Big issue being in his systems, of course, <laughs> as in today's topic. No, 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 they're not, not, they're not a big issue. They're, they're, they're straightforward, um, as we know. This is what Martin thinks. Yes. <laughs> then, Martin, do enlighten me about the big issue. Big issue? Oh, um, well, our friend in the East is not so friendly anymore. He's no longer a friend. Fact, you mean China? You mean far, Trump? Far from it. Well, uh, I don't think Trump's in the West, surely. Well, you see, it depends on your perspective. If you just go east, far enough east, you will meet him kind of on the other side. Yes, very true, very true. <laughs> okay. So what what east are you exactly referring to? Uh, well, your east, but then stop, by, east. The, stop, stop by the sea. <laughs> by the sea? Hmm. Ocean, not the sea, the ocean, yeah. That makes it the Bering Street, as in the divide hmm. between the U.S. or sorry, Alaska and China, or Mongolia, whatever it is. I, 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 geography is failing me. Ah. Martin, as usual, I'm lost. Okay. Well, in case you hadn't noticed, there's been a invasion of U- Ukraine. <laughs> ah, the war. Well, it depends how you look at it. But some people don't people, call we're it war, recording, apparently. Yeah. We're recording this on September 27th, 2025, apparently. Hmm. 
the war the war that Martin is, is referring to started in February of 2022 and apparently still go is still going on. What nobody has sussed yet, and I'm joking. Ah, of yes, course, you have with, a solution. Yes. yes, I do. <laughs> I, and of course, I'm joking with the recording date. Actually, as a matter of fact, we're recording this kind of mid-April, uh, mid April, mid March, almost. Anyway, what nobody has really sussed is. To keep, to, to keep the Kremlin at bay, especially the Falcons, NATO, or NATO, sorry for the pronunciation, NATO has just extend, has to extend a membership offer to Russia. Hmm. Because at that, if, if they accept, and if Mr. Putin would put aside his, what's the word I'm looking for? Reservations. For want of a better expression, we would all be friends, and there's no need to attack friendly neighboring states. So, Vladimir, if you're listening, shut down the arms, get the get the troops of the Ukraine, the Linux in-laws <laughs> will maybe get in touch with Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe try. we can work something out with regards to including you in NATO, and then it's all said and done. There is no point in for, in, 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 for the, in, in for the killings, never mind putting innocent lives at risk. So, Vladimir, think about it. And if Brussels... Feedback in laws that you... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The email addresses <laughs> feedback at you. And if Brussels finally extends that, extends that offer, just do it. Just accept it. Russia will be a better place. No more wars. And we finally can live in peace for a change. And don't worry about Donald Trump. We'll sort him out as the US goes along. But... <laughs> This is not the political or global, global um, crisis podcast, but rather Linux in-laws about today's subject, which is, Martin? Uh, init systems, I believe. Init systems, yes. But before we start so, on that, you haven't told me how you are. Well, I'm fine. I'm on my okay. second bottle, La first bottle La of beer. That's a hero. It's a... Ah, it's a quiet night, is it? <laughs> slowly, ru slowly running <laughs> out. <night>. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, things are dandy here in. Uh, what's the what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Kiev or whatever you put on it. It's not Kiev. No. <laughs> no, we, we we're gonna edit this out. No, it's actually uh, Frankfurt, uh, Germany. So the Russians have haven't approached yet, because we still have a few. Bordering countries in between, mm. so-called buffer oh, zones. Yeah, yes, it's quickly diminishing. Yes. But yeah. uh, indeed, and as I said, Vladimir, if you're listening, just think ahead. And I don't know how many people are at risk if NATO would, God forbid, pull the, pull the nuclear option because that would that would just result in Armageddon. And Vladimir, this is not something you want to do. If history is anything to go by, and history does repeat itself. Just don't do it. In yeah, case Mr. Yeah. Putin is listening, <laughs> I do not know. Yeah. But back to init systems. Back to init systems, indeed. That's, that's yes, Martin. So, so what do you know about init systems? Well, every Linux system has one. Well, I'm tempted to say that every computer system has one. Well, yes, that's true. 
Yes, yes, fair enough. So, since we are the so, next podcast, we're talking about Linux. <laughs> Do we now? <laughs> this is this wouldn't be inclusive now, would it? <laughs> no, <we don't. laughs> exactly, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we go into the nitty-gritty details of System D, OpenRC, System V, and all the rest of it, maybe we should take a look at the bigger picture and see what happens actually if you turn on the power on a device called normally known as a computer. Any thoughts? Well, there's various things that happen. <laughs> Can to enlighten us about the technical details. Well, there are hardware bits and pieces that all... Yes! <laughs> uh, there are many bits inside your computer. <laughs> I guess you didn't know. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah. we only have about two hours left <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> So yeah. why don't they, why don't I basically give give the kind of twenty thousand mile overview? Go for it. Of what happens actually if you turn on the go, power go for on twenty thousand feet computer. next time. Yeah, yes. twenty thousand miles, but <laughs> whatever. Very small spec, otherwise. <laughs> so, uh, is computer normally has something called a CPU in it and some storage devices known as, in the olden days, EPROMs, PROMs as an erasable, programmable read-only memory, programmable read-only memory, and all the rest of it. Now, nowadays, probably part of some system on a chip configuration known as an SOC and consisting of flash memory, for example. So essentially what happens, if you turn on, if you turn on power, um, the CPU does a reset, puts itself into the fine state and starts to execute executions normally at a predefined address. Hasn't changed within the last 50 years. I mean, going back to the mainframes, you, you could actually configure this address before the IPL, yeah. referring back to the IBM mainframes now, yeah. as in the initial program load. Yeah. Same goes for the, uh, what's it called, Elster 88 Zero something zero zero yeah. as in the, f the the first eighty eight as an Intel eighty eight based uh, microcomputer, mm -hmm. but the but in a nutshell, the CPU starts to read instructions from a from a predefined address. In the early home computers, that was just ROM, as in you put something onto your screen like a prompt, and then you let you let the user take care of the rest. Uh, but with the advent of things like an IBM PC and friends, the computer, the, this procedure be became just more complicated. Going back in history about 50, 50 years, it makes it actually 40 years, as in I'm specifically I'm referring to an IBM PC type thing. The C <clears throat> you power up the machine, the CPU starts to read some instructions. This basically would mean a jump to something called a basic input output system, also known as BIOS. And then that BIOS would do some initial hardware initialization, like clearing the screen, initializing controllers and all the rest of it, and then would see what devices are there in terms of, do we have a hard disk? Do we have a floppy disk? And then try to load an initial bootloader from said device. That hasn't really changed. Hmm. Over time, the BIOS became replaced with something called a UEFI, as in Universal Extendable Firmware Interface, which is still essentially a BIOS, but is capable of much more complicated things like 
booting a trusted operating system, signed with keys and all the rest of it. So essentially, UFABOS also con contains parts of a, of a PKR, of a public key infrastructure. The bottom line is that the initial, the, the original boot process hasn't changed, hasn't really changed that much. Essentially, you, you take a look at the, at the, at the storage devices. You take a look at what's out there. You load a portion of that device into my memory and then, then, and then transfer control to it. So in terms of Linux, more often than not these days, that means some sort of grub. Grub standing for Martin? Oh, question. Uh, Gnome no, Ruby interface or something? Head. No, it's not. No. <laughs> Interesting. What is it? actually the name escapes me too? It's it's GNU. Yeah. Maybe the link. Yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe the link. Maybe the uh, maybe the details might be in the show notes. Yeah, it's bootloader, isn't it? Can you bootloader? The the yes, Wikipedia to the rescue. <laughs> to the uh -huh. rescue. The GNU Grand Unified Bootloader, <laughs> also okay. known as Grub. So the way the Grub works is essentially. In MBR-based systems, as in the traditional PC, RB MPC type, type system, uh, systems, it would take a look at the, at the, at the master units and would try to load either an MBR or a GPT partition of the disk. And then in, in GPT or, or, um, or MBR-based systems, uh, the BIOS would take a look at the, at the first hard disk sector. In GPT systems, it's slightly different. Same goes for UFEI, but in that case, you're looking at a whole partition rather than a sector. Anyway, doesn't matter. The way it works is, and it hasn't really changed, you get some sort of initial bootloader into main memory. You execute that bootloader, and that bootloader then would, would take care of loading the kernel into, into main memory and then executing mm -hmm. an init system. Mm -hmm. uh, with GRUB, as in the GNU Grand Unified Bootloader, this bootloader is already capable of understanding, for example, file systems like ext3, like ext4, like fat file systems. So it's able to understand this file system structure and at least is able to load a kernel and internet RD, like, an, like a RAM disk. And depending on the distro that is booting, also a configuration file with Armed with this, essentially, it's able to load a kernel, provide the kernel with a with an initial image, for want of a better word. It normally, basically, just con contains some redundant or rather rudimentary user land, which is just there in basic terms to get the system up and running. Kernel executes that user land, the initial user land, and then at some stage the kernel pivots into the real user land, which is essentially stored on disk. For this, it needs a so-called init system. As we are talking about, or as we are sticking to the, to the Linux case, of course, there are multiple init systems out there, mm -hmm. ranging from the original RC init system, right over to system V init, System D, Open RC, and the whole lot, which nicely brings us back to the whole System D debate. Uh huh. So, Martin, 
the moment of truth has come. What can you tell us about Upstart? Uh, it's a um, uh, defunct. It's yes. a, a replacement demon um, starting um, uh, the start. It starts the process asynchronously. Um, it's in the very mainly. Mm. yes, very good. But maybe we should start from a historical perspective at the, at, at the very beginning. In the olden days, <laughs> and we're talking about 1970, <laughs> there was something That's called System B. In it. Exactly. Mm. BSD has system V, did say? Uh, system V, yes, as yeah, in yeah. Unix mm. System 5. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hence the name System V in it. Maybe now it's time to shed some light on, on run levels. Run levels essentially describe the state of an option of a Unix based operating system. Like you have a single user state where you do not have any, any demons up and running. No services have been created yet. A single user mode normally consists of just a shell, a, a root shell to be precise, where the user sitting in front of a terminal has anything, has any rights that he or she needs to do system administration tasks. Much more importantly, there are no other users on that system at that given stage. In contrast to this, another rendezvous would be multi-user. In that case, most of the demons would have started. Typically, you would have the line, print, the line printing system up and running. You would have terminal services listen on serial devices or network interfaces, accepting SSH-based connections and all the rest of it, or simple TDY process in terms of serial communication. And the other remaining tasks in the 80s slash 90s, that run level system was complemented with, I think it's it call, it's called GUI stage or something like this. Details mm -hmm. maybe in the show notes, where actually on the main console, you would have a windowing system up and running. In the 90s, more often than not, something like X Windows. Kitties, this is grandpa uh, telling yeah. you stories <laughs> because these days this would be more like Whalen and Friends, mm. not necessarily X Windows, because as we all know, uh, X has almost formed by the wayside to be replaced with Whalen stuff. Because funny enough, not that many people use a network windowing system anymore these days. Anyway. So uh, run levels had a couple of advantages, but also had uh, disadvantages. Going back to the original system V in it, mm. system design uh, in terms of, uh, so for example, services tended to depend on other services, i.e. it doesn't make much sense to start the TTY processes before the networking layer was up and running. Because mm -hmm. without a network connection, you simply cannot, cannot connect unless you talk about serial consoles. You cannot connect to a computer. You may uh, have to explain in, what a serial console is. But... A serial console, yes. Um, <laughs> it's something in the, in the olden well, days... For, before, for the hipsters amongst them. Exactly. Well, not amongst the us, olden, but on the, amongst the olden, In the olden days, you would use acoustic couplers or other modems to connect to a computer using a technology called RS-232, otherwise known as V24, <laughs> as in a serial connection that would shovel the bits to the target <laughs> system in a serial fashion, typically achieving lightning speeds like mm. 300 bits per second. 
and yes, you're talking 80s. Yeah. Now, things shy or things. Wonder, wonder how many people know what a modem is in the in the uh, less, <sighs> less than 30 years. <laughs> Well, you see, anyway. if, you, if you're using ADSL or some other DSL-based technology, yes, essentially you're still using the modem, but you're talking That's about fun, now yeah. speeds up to, if you're using vectoring DSL, up to 200 megabits a second. Maybe even more, depending on your kit. So this has come a long way from 300 bits per second, give or take. But going back to the inner system. So well, well, essentially, the good thing is back then yes. there weren't any cat videos, so you didn't need it, right? So less, less, less of a requirement for, for more. Indeed, <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. But uh, mm. with this simple system V in it, and especially with regards to the, to the to the dependencies, things became very complex, very clunky, very quickly. Because essentially, what you had to do, you had to hard code these dependencies in your init files. But SimV in it, that would mean you have to define the miracle order in which the associated shell scripts, because that's essentially what SimV is, SimV in it, would be executed. Never mind timing issues. So, uh, you, depending on the service at hand, you had to fiddle around with sleep statements and all the rest of it, ensuring that a service depend which which is depending mm. on another service or which was depending on another service didn't start up before the other service was finished. Yep. Not great. So well, quite it's very a few short. People, it, it took a long time to be right. Oh well not to be yes. initialized, by the way. Yeah. Yes. And it didn't help with the booting times exactly. The sweet thing is basically that in contrast to, op- to other operating systems, you do not reboot Linux systems regularly. Whereas in contrast, other operating systems have apparently to be rebooted regularly in order to avoid memory issues and stuff. I'm not naming, naming any names, but a, a, a distinguished colleague of mine we we just had a chat about a month ago, pointed me out to the fact that his Debian-based system had an uptime of about four years. He seemed to be pretty chuffed with it. I wasn't. Because uh, taking a look at Mazu, the longest uptime, and the uptime essentially is the period of time where a Linux-based system has been up and running since its last reboot, the longest uptime here in Maizu, and that's an ARM-based system running alarm, soon to be decommissioned, by the way, because it's 32-bit, has an uptime of about six years. So I'm still running kind of an ancient, an ancient kernel on it. Hmm. It's, I think, three point something, if my resource correct. <clears throat> Needless to say, I do update the userland quite frequently, but at the end of the day, uh, that machine hasn't rebooted for that amount of time. Which goes to say, of course, that Linux is a rock-solid system, especially, although even, let's put it this way, even if you're using a hipster operating system like this distribution called Arch. Anyway, but I'm digressing. So quite a few people identified the shortcomings of System V in it and came up with alternative solutions. One of the more prominent ones probably was canonical in the mid-teens, when they came up with a with a with a with an inner system called Upstart, details maybe in the show notes if I can dig them up. 
that essentially modeled dependencies and other interesting things in a very intuitive way, let's put it this way. But at that stage, uh, a guy called Leonard Pöttering and Kai Sievers had already also taken a look at this issue and had come up with something called System D. Now, of course, these will be in the show notes again. System D, and if, if, history, if history is anything to go by, has taken the upper hand in terms of uh, distro Fiction, adoption and all the rest yeah. of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Canonical, I think, gave up on Upstart about six years ago, back in 2016, 2017, something like this. Um, details will, in the, will be in the show notes when actually Canonical switched from Upstart to something called system D, with a, which at that stage, quite a few distributions had already adopted. The ones like Arch, Fedora probably Fedora. be the most prominent example. Yeah. Because funny that Kai and 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 Leonard work for a company called Martin. Perhaps, perhaps. Indeed. This is, you see, this is why your Hello subscription does pay off. (laughs) Very much so, uh, yes. If uh, the Hello magazine would feature some open source. (laughs) Martin, you're not saying you pay for the bloody thing but never read it? Are you serious? (laughs) Uh, What do you think? You heard it here first. (laughs) Martin has a little subscription, but doesn't read the bloody thing. That's impressive. No. What, does, what does your wife say to this? What does your wife well, say? Actually, your I wife could be wrong. I could be wrong. It could be full of a little buttering and, and Linus Torvalds and all those people. <laughs> actually, but it does seem somewhat see, unlikely. Sorry. It's probably very good for the reading figures, I'm, right? I'm just wondering. I mean, what happens? The, 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 the postal service in the U.S., also known as the post office, delivers Set Hello magazine to your doorstep. Well, no, 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 they deliver it from the US. No, no, in the U. No, no, sorry, the, uh, sorry, the UK postal service. I, oh. I made a mistake, of course. Okay, the UK postal service delivers it to your board, delivers that to your doorstep. So it's on your doorstep. It's in your mailbox. What happens then? The wife picks it up, reads it, and then puts it onto, onto the coffee table. The kids go through it, and then what? I don't know. Why don't you ask someone? <laughs> Unfortunately, they're we, not. We on don't have spot. it in our household. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know if I find someone who actually reads the thing or has a subscription. Let's put it that way. Uh, Martin, I'm sorely disappointed because <laughs> uh, if you have a hello subscription, you should read it. <laughs> Because in that case, you would know about these things like Leonard Pottering and all the rest of them, right? Ah. There you go. Anyway, <laughs> but I'm digressing. Uh, yeah, just a bit. Uh, anyway, so um, so over time, System D has essentially evolved from a mere init system to much, 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 much more. And this is where the fun starts. So, Martin. Uh, Define fun, yeah. <laughs> what's your perspective on System D? Uh, well, it works. Um, yes. What else? Uh, hmm, interesting. 
don't tend to do a great deal with it. There's some sometimes you need to add something to it, but like timers and services, yeah, and the like, like, like certificate <laughs> renewals, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Martin, <laughs> certificate renewals, indeed. <laughs> okay, full disclosure, Peter. I wouldn't say I'm a converted follower of fashion, but let's take a look at how System D has evolved. It started off as an init, as an init system. Over time, much, much more was added to System D. It now does time zone controlling. It now has. What do you mean time zone controlling? It's called time sync CTL. Okay, so there's no longer an external daemon or a, a daemon. That does no, that. it can interface with an NTP service. It can interface with oh, NTP daemon. That's the one I'm thinking yes. of. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so you don't need NTP daemon anymore. Is what you're saying. No. Well, well, you do, but maybe not on the, on 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 that machine unless uh, you can get the and uh, you can get the the network time protocol from a different server. But it's quite capable of controlling the the time itself. There's also some rudimentary DNS resolve functionality built into it, and it has it also has a rudimentary container system called Machine D, if memory serves correct. So it has progressed quite beyond. A simple init system. And some people, and what's following no full disclosure is my very own personal opinion, you may disagree. Please do send hate mail to feedback at linuxindus.eu and clearly put Martin in the subject line. This is the important bit. Yeah, no problem. I'm joking. <laughs> I can but relate. Martin, right? course, exactly, but Martin has a corresponding <laughs> proc mail filter <laughs> on his account, so no worries. Anyway, no, I'm, I'm jokes aside. Um, some people take offense and are implying that this zoo of functionality, one for one of a better expression, are these purists by any chance? Exactly, exactly, the purists amongst ourselves are that that this functionality is against the original Unix philosophy. Yeah. It's, um, mm. Now, Martin, of course, that begs the question, what is the original Unix philosophy? For the two people under the age of 50 listening to this podcast. That's a good question. Hmm. Well, I suppose the, um, if I were to think of the top of my head, I would say that every uh, every piece has its function. Uh, yes. It, I don't know if that's what it is, but that has, it has that, spot um, on. Yes. Has that kind of feeling about it, right? <laughs> Back in the 70s, when AT&T sat down to devise hmm. something called the successor of Multics, Known as Unix these days, Pike, Curtingham, Thompson, and the original inventors came up with this with with this philosophy of essentially a toolbox, where it, the operating system on top of running on top of the kernel, especially the user land, what consists of twenty thousand plus tools. I'm exaggerating like quite a comprehensive number of little programs that would work in concert to achieve a goal. Hence this notion, for example, of pipes. 
Hence this notion of process substitutions found in most of the shells. Like you would combine these little tools in order to get the job done. Yeah. And this is now, in my personal opinion, where the misconception sets in. System D is still that collection of tools. It's just the packaging, apparently, that many people take offense to in terms of they perceive this init system and its corresponding functionality because these days it's much more like uh, like like just an init system to be a threat to the overall U- original U- Unix philosophy. Like you have a collection of tools and they work in concert and turn them to do to achieve one thing. System D at the very core, and of course this is a matter of philosophy debate and you name it, hasn't really changed that philosophy. Because if you take a close look at system D, you have the init system, you have the resolver, you have MTP-like functionality and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, okay, yes, they are packaged into more or less one code base. But at the end of the day, the separation of concern still applies. So I'm not really sure that I get the revolutionists like the deaf ones of the world or those people who run Debian. The deaf one is a splinter group, hate mails to <laughs> <laughs> feedback at Linux in law you. Um, Dev one is essentially a Debian system without system D integrated. Um, uh, so they, I think to the best of my knowledge, they still rely on system V in it. If I, if I remember correctly, of course, uh, people don't get me wrong. This is still open source software. So of course you can do whatever the heck you want to do because the source code is available. Just go for it. If you want to do some some open C based Debian with some strange sort of inner system, by all means, just go ahead, fork the user land, get rid of system D, slot in your own functionality, and off you go. As so, usual, if yeah. sorry, go on. ahead, Martin. No, no, can't finish for you. As usual, evolution will decide on what's viable or not. Yeah, true, true. Uh, so, what about Slackware? Subject of an upcoming episode, that <laughs> teaser. We are looking at 2022. Before the year is over, we will have an episode on Slackware. We will? Yes, we will. Okay, so you can cut this. Eric, Eric, uh, Patrick, if you're listening, I sent you numerous emails. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I hadn't uh, replied to any of them. That's my recollection. <laughs> uh, we are working on replacements. Or Eric, if, and Patrick, if ah. you want to get on the show, uh, you want to make this quick because hmm. we have already a waiting list of Slack users building up to be on the show. I'm just saying. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Okay, let's let's not talk about Slackware right now. Then, if he's coming on the show, excellent. Uh, so, but you had a question uh, on this or other. Well, it's 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 yeah. So, so it's one of the few uh, Linux distros that's um, still using init. Init. Um, well, Def One would be the next. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's just... There are... But, um, there might be more. Open art... Open WRT is using some is using something called OpenRC if I'm, if if memory serves correct. Uh, oh, sorry. Of op, of course, Open WRT being one of the major embedded Linux distributions for the likes of modems and so forth. And of course, the BSDs of the world, which of course not Linux goes without saying, haven't gotten around to systemd yet. But um, as far as I know, FreeBSD and at least OpenBSD still use SystemV in it. Uh, um, if yeah, I'm wrong, please Debian. send mail to feedback and Linux Inlaws. What are you? About Debian, I thought they were doing something. No, Debian is using system has been using SystemV for the uh, has been using SystemD. Sorry, uh, for the last five years, six years. Okay. They made that switch mid last decade, I think, if memory serves correct. Uh, there were there weren't the the forerunners, but eventually they they adopted this because mm. everybody well everybody else was like the rails, the fedoras of the world, the arches yeah. of the world. And you name them, and and you name them. Mm. I think they came after Ubuntu, but but I might be wrong with regards of time with regards to timing. Mm. Okay. So, any final thoughts on init systems? Well, final thoughts. I mean, uh, what about the... Um, so, so the reason for uh, mentioning Slack was that... Well, we can do it in the episode, but they they had some... Uh, oh, uh, it's the, 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 the main uh, Slackware founder had some issues with uh, System D as well, right? By Patrick Forkerding. Um, Yes, him. he's known to be a rebel. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. um, yeah. So that was. Uh, but I think, as you say, most of the um, distros have adopted it now. So. Well, Dev One, Slackware, and the distro that shall go yeah. unnamed still stands out. But that's <laughs> about it. The rest would have adopted System D by by, by now. And we have one people. If you disagree with the following statement, please do get in touch with with us at um, hate mail at linuxinlus.eu, which is the first directly forwarded feedback at Linux, linuxinlus.eu. No, I'm I'm joking. But if that's anything to go by, Dev one have has yet to master the the adoption curve of Debian because they're not quite there yet. So um, actually, you're running ARM, aren't you? Uh, ARM would be a CPU architecture. Yes, as a hardware. Yes. Yes, I'm using ARM. Yes. Hmm. With which OS again? Um, Google, if you're listening, the email address is sponsor <laughs> at linuxinlaw.eu. <laughs> Some of them, I reckon about half of my ARM cores do run mm. something called Android or some sort of spin mm. of the, of the AOSP, like the Android open source project. And the other, the other ones would run either Alarm as an Arch Linux on ARM or some sort of Debian spin. Okay. 
both of which, of course, come with systemd. Because Debian would be native Debian for ARM32. Okay. Well, that's uh, quite good to know then. So it is portable to many other, or portable, it's not um, hardware dependent, and which makes sense, really. Systemd? Hmm. No, Systemd just requires a Linux kernel. Yeah. And Indeed. it can run a Linux kernel. It can, it can run run on. It can run on any Linux kernel after two nineteen something, because well, at least that goes for systemd versions that are about two to three years old. All it would require from a kernel are control groups and namespaces, because essentially this is what you use or this is what you need for mm-hmm. some sort of rudimentary container control. And things like private temporary directory, private proc directories, and, and, and some other features that systemd exhibits, especially if you are talking about systemd services that have to run in isolated contact. Because one of the features, again, in comparison to systemd in it, is that you can isolate a systemd service pretty much uh, to the extent that it's almost comparable to container. System D, what system, the, the, the thing that system D brings to the table with regards to isolation of, for example, a service bordering on something that a container brings to the table in terms of you can isolate to the extent it has its own temp- temporary file system. It has its own set of capabilities and all the rest of it, meaning that it's almost running it in, it running in its own container. And, that, and that's exactly why you need something called control groups and namespaces. These concepts have been have been in the in the kernel since tw- I think two nineteen thirty two thirty five or something like this. Details may be in the show notes. Very good. Now, before we lose the remaining two listeners, I hope you're still awake. This is the important thing. Uh, Feedback. It depends depends whether they're using us to get to sleep. (laughs) Feedback, as usual, goes to complaints at (laughs) redhead.com. I'm joking, people. Of course, the feedback goes to feedback. I little see those of you. What else is there to say? Of course... Credits have to go to Hacker Public Radio for hosting us. Can you for listening? Mm. Thank you. Good and thank you well. I think that captures the three languages that can that can can speak. Very good. And what about German? <laughs> Do not speak well, German. <laughs> vielen Dank can uh, okay. if you if if you can understand German, I don't know. And of course, Vladimir, do think about this proposal. Hmm. And please, if you do, give me give the Linux in-laws credit for this, just in case. This is the Linux in-laws. You come for the knowledge, but stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salute Margaret to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. 
you find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs> Martin. <laughs> we have a guest. What's, what's interesting is that the um, the thing is quicker as well. The uh, echo nonsense. Yes, that's what I noticed. Um, the logs will probably tell you why this is. Uh yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> <But awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like too much effort. <laughs> Jesus um, Christ. One oh, day, it's... and Martin, really, this is this is the important bit. One day, uh-huh. <laughs> we will we will we will come to the or you will come to the conclusion that a system, that a proper system administrator learning curve is not the is not the worst thing that could happen. As in, really oh. deep down no, 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 diving. No, no, you, don't, and... you don't get the point. It's um, it's not so much about the system administrator piece. It's just that. Um, having the time to um, sort out all this stuff. This is otherwise known as a lame excuse. <laughs> Never mind think. focus and priorities. Yeah. <laughs> you get my drift. I rest my case. <laughs> Feel free. Who uses PSD? Uh, I do on a daily basis. I thought you used Arch. Sweetie. What's macOS at its very core? Uh, it's a free BSD user land running on next, top. Next OS or whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, I think you still have to, have to do some reading up on things. The like macOS. No, I mean, rubbish. Yeah. I do. You do too, apparently. Hmm? And you do too. Do what? Use macOS. I'm afraid so, yes. Yeah, you're using FreeBSD, essentially. Mm. Because that's what Darwin is. Darwin is a combination of a, of a FreeBSD personality running on top of a mark, of a, of a heavily modified mark microkernel. Mm. Okay. Called XNU or something like this. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by anhonesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.